Welcome, everybody, to Roger and Me, a twice-weekly podcast for now, where we, every Tuesday, rewatch an old episode of Siskel and Ebert and talk about the movies they're in. And boy, is next week a doozy. But every Friday, we review all the new releases, Siskel and Ebert style. We have our own rating system that is in no way indebted to that series. Um, and we are here to talk about six new releases for today, which is Friday, August 5th, 2022. Five of these movies, or I guess all six of them are theatrically out as of today. 13 Lives has been in New York for a week. I believe it was it in Chicago. Yeah, for that it was in week? Chicago for a week, too. OK, my guest, Mark Dusick, is back. Hello. Sorry for the late intro. There That's he is. Okay. Uh, the hardest working man in the business. Mark Dusick is here. He reviews everything. The movies are all reviewed on his website. MarkReviewsMovies.com. They're all already posted. Uh, everything out Friday is up by Thursday night or Friday morning, whenever the embargo lifts, I would imagine. So he's got all all these reviews written on the site already. And, you know, I need guests for this show often. I'm going to keep needing guests for the show. And if Mark is willing, you know, I will have Mark as often as he wants to be here because he's already doing the work. Uh, so to me, as long as he's having a good time, this is extracurricular you already you already did it. You just I'm get having to... fun. I'm having yeah, fun. we're having fun. It's, I hope it, it was an entire show, and then like our pre-show stuff, and I'm already having a great time. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah you guys really missed some great pre-show banter. We got we really got into it off off mic. Uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, I have hidden cameras in my apartment. <laughs> we will put that feed up there somewhere. Uh, I'm just joking, but we do have a Patreon, and you should subscribe to it. Uh, and it it mostly has to do with the rewatches i we do all the main all the movies out we will talk about on this main feed i guess i have a caveat to that though because we're not talking about a couple big movies that are out on streaming this week or i guess one that's out on streaming this week prey the predator prequel movie that is famously not getting a theatrical release it's going straight to hulu for a variety of reasons that we can get into maybe on the new flesh podcast my horror podcast where we will be talking about prey on this week's episode so we're axing prey because this this i don't think roger and gene would be reviewing streaming uh exclusive movies maybe i'm being elitist here it's hard uh, to tell they probably would have gotten into it eventually well they had they did, that's the thing they would do some hbo things every so often oh that's interesting i never even thought they about reviewed that. wit um i know that for sure because i think roger put that on his top 10 list that year wow um, and like that's else. a big thing for any movie to get you know roger's uh, accolade on tv like so many indie movies were made that way and i would imagine an hbo movie getting a bump would help as yeah. well but we just got an alert from the the roger and me news desk they pinged me to let me know that there are actually seven movies we're talking about today we forgot about a movie called i love my dad or i love you dad one of those i love my dad i love my dad it is a comedy but Maybe it won't be for some people because it is a very cringy movie. But we'll talk about that. I don't think I named the other one, so I'm not getting ahead of anything. We will talk about seven movies, not six movies. The other streaming release we will be talking about on the new flesh, but not on here, 
is a movie called They Slash Them that is a Peacock original that is not going to theaters. So I'm just saying all that to say this podcast is dedicated to the cinema and keeping theaters alive. So we want to boost movies that are getting theatrical releases, even ones that are getting very limited releases in uh, New York and L.A. and Chicago, because we have the privilege and access to see them. And hopefully some of you listeners do. And if you don't, they'll be on VOD before you know it. So we are going to talk about theatrical releases. And where should we start? We should start with the most high-profile release of the week. And that is Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt and directed by, I want to say John Wicks, David Leitch. Leitch, I don't know how to pronounce it. but Yeah, or Deadpool 2's David Leitch or Leitch. Yeah, that's more operative here, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, let's get into it right after we watch the trailer for Bullet Train. Okay, what am I snatching and or grabbing? A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. Doesn't get simpler. You stab me? We'll ring your life the way you ruin mine. Dude, I don't even know you. That was pretty um, representative of what the movie is, I would say, as far as trailers go. Uh, For better and for worse. Uh, Mark, what did you think of Bullet Train? Um, I can't say, just foregoing plot summary real quick and cast and all that, I can't say I was a fan of it. Um, It's, boy, it's so self-centered and smug about how artificial it is while it's also trying to bring up all these ideas about how media today is artificial just all about twists and violence and everything but then it's doing that on its own um i yeah it's it just feels so derivative of a lot of things there's no real momentum to it because it keeps stopping to do all these flashbacks to characters who will show up randomly and then get killed off within like two minutes yeah they they like they love to give you a nice flashback uh backstory of somebody who's about to be murdered (laughs) well after they've been murdered (laughs) yes that's the the thing is after they're dead you get to learn their story and how they end up on this train and so and so the plot has brad pitt's uh, hitman who's now in like recovery, seeing a therapist and trying to just be a better person. Um, he's codenamed Ladybug, ironically, because he's so unlucky. Um, and he's on this train from Tokyo to Kyoto trying to recover this briefcase, which he finds like almost immediately. But since we learn about all these other characters, a couple of other hitmen on the train, um, this young woman who is somehow involved with this. A man whose son was pushed off a rooftop. Um, We know that the job's not going to go that easy. And so all of this, you know, craziness ensues of people getting into fights. And then we learn about some of their story. And then we get into more fights. And then there's some more ironic joking. It's it. It just doesn't work. There's no there's no sense of. Well, Mark, anything. it's, It's from the director of Deadpool 2. Yeah. So doesn't that all track? With Deadpool 2, couldn't you say all those things about Deadpool and Deadpool kind of. 2? Yeah, like, you kind of can. It's kind of the same problem. I saw someone on Letterboxd call this the Ryan Reynoldsification of Brad Pitt. And I thought that was 
pretty damn smart of an observation because this movie does feel like that where Brad Pitt is definitely playing more of a Ryan Reynoldsy character. Um, very, I don't know. It's this movie for me. I also, I don't think I disliked it as much as you did, but I definitely didn't love it. I had like an okay enough time. Like I would, you know, with caveats recommend it to people that are interested in it because to me, Brad Pitt's charm is just absolutely infectious in this movie. And like, it always is, but in this movie, even, even in this one note mode in a movie that is so fucking stupid that the entire thing falls apart. If you think about the inciting incident for half a second and it's in the trailer. So I don't think I'm giving up a spoiler here. I'll just say it. The inciting incident is he's on the train, right? He's on a train to do a mission. He's not a hitman. He's actually like a snatch and grab guy, right? He, because, or maybe he was once a hitman. Yeah, the implication is he might have been a professional killer at one point, and now he's trying to go yeah. straight. And like the movie, again, you're right. It's very high on its own supply of like, we think it's very cutesy and funny that like a guy who's like really, I don't want to say woke, but like spiritually woke. (laughs) And like the guy who's telling everyone they need to go to therapy and like shit like that. Like the movie gets so much mileage out of it. And I'm not saying that like good mileage. I'm just saying like it throws that idea at you a hundred times. And again, I think it's sort of halfway works just because Brad Pitt is having fun. And Brad Pitt, I think, has officially entered his doing feature length favors for a friend era because that's what this movie feels like. Yeah, it definitely does. And I mean, yeah, everybody in the cast, all this, all the main players are having fun. I liked I like Brad Pitt. I think he is funny as this sort of laid back guy. Um, Joey King's really good, just being devious and conniving while also playing it very sweet and knowing. Brian Tyree Henry is, you know, really good. Aaron Taylor Johnson's really good. And then you have all of these cameos who could have been much better if there was actually any time spent with them. And there are so many really good actors who are wasted well, in man, these throwaway roles. That- that exactly and that's like that this is actually a david light or lech whatever we keep mispronouncing it because we don't know because who cares he's not an auteur i need to know he also directed the really really bad fast and furious spinoff hobbs and shaw yeah that's right and that movie had the same quality of um just peppering really bad jokes everywhere (laughs) uh it definitely has the same quality and the the action, I feel like this guy was known. He's a stunt man, and he like he's responsible for John Wick, which is a very well choreographed movie with good action and stunts. And like I at least expected this movie to have that, right? Like some really compelling action and stunts. It doesn't really. No, nope. it's very CGI heavy, um, stylized, overly stylized. And yes, some of the fights are good and like fun, like the one from the trailer we just saw. But like. That's kind of the best shit is in the trailer right there. Like, it's really quick. It's the 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 camera is in close up. I think too much for that much of a confined space, so you can't really see the choreography happening. And then there are a lot of cuts. And yeah, the, but those fights are also just over almost as quickly as they begin because they have so much plot to get through. Right. It's and uh, what I was getting to with Hobbs and Shaw, that I forgot about is uh, the operative thing being that they think cameo cameos substituting for jokes yeah that is like a phenomenon of really lazy bad movies of which this movie definitely is 
I'm not saying it's lazy and bad, only a little. I'm saying that kind of. But these types of movies, I'm sure maybe you could think of another example, but Hobbs and Shaw comes to mind. There's a couple big ones. And there's a couple huge a few huge ones in this movie. And the problem is the whole the whole crux of these jokes in these movies, especially this one, is hey, look who's here. That's it. Yeah. It's yeah. look who's here. There's not like I guess one of them in this movie gets like an actual written joke, but it's the lamest fucking joke. And it's repeated three times. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's an uncredited cameo too. So I don't even feel like giving it away at Oh, all. no. But yeah, I'm not giving it, away. I don't want to give away any of them. Because yeah. I was, gen- this is the first time I've actually been genuinely surprised to see people in a movie in Me a too. long time. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's interesting. Too. Like the yeah. marketing not giving away a lot of that is surprising. Even though the marketing, I think people were surprised did give away that. I guess maybe a uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the trailer. Yeah. Um, Sandra Bullock is his handler in the movie and it's revealed in the trailer. Like there's actually a shot of her, I believe in mm-hmm. addition to her voice. So yeah. like that's actually like treated. It's one of those things that treated like a cameo in the movie, but it's kind of not. Um, but there's legitimate cameos that are like you do. I don't know. I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't laugh just because, Oh look, it's that person. But like I did, that's what the movie wants you to do. And oh yeah, it's a bummer that they didn't, like what it's just a it's a trend i've saw i've seen people write about now where it's like there's no comedies anymore like comedies are like brad pitt is the star of of the most recent comedy in america you know what i mean like this is a this is allegedly a comedy and there's no real comedians in it right it's just like a bunch of people saying what's allegedly are funny lines that are written by some guy and that has kind of replaced the studio comedy at this point like we don't really get them anymore it's very few and far between and i think it's this movie is definitely a part of the problem of yeah uh we don't need to write for the cameo we just need the cameo yeah yeah and it's a shame because i see those actors show up I don't, and again, I don't want to like, and I hadn't seen the trailer, so I had no clue. Sandra Bullock. The entire time, I thought it was Catherine Keener doing the voice of the handler. Oh, interesting, interesting. That's that's funny and because was, and the only reason I knew is because of the trailer. Huh. Yeah, I had no clue that she was in it until she showed up. I'm like, oh, I would say I guess there that are wasn't Catherine Keener. There are three genuine moments that the movie wants you to like freak out because of who's in it, and I didn't know all three of them. Uh, and that's in addition to Sandra. So, like, I don't think we gave away anything. Yeah, uh, I don't think so either. But I, but all of those actors who do show up, I was expecting more. And maybe yeah. that's on my end. But it's also just it's saying, not. like, how do you waste that level of talent when you have yep. those actors in these key yep. parts in roles that are far more potentially interesting than the characters we get on screen? Especially just, the the last one, which is like a big reveal of like a villain and like. Yep that one i was like oh this is gonna be good and then it just wasn't it wasn't that good (laughs) yeah he shows up and you're like oh okay this is gonna get interesting because it reminded me of another great cameo that actor did yep in yeah okay we know exactly in a spoof of romantic comedy that's all i'll say the people in the know will know yeah but it's reminiscent of that cameo um and so when he shows up as this person it's like yep that's that's perfect casting and then does nothing with that actor. Yeah. It's and a waste. The movie's just such... And you you're, you called it derivative, and that's also an operative word here. It's all just so tired. Like, how many movies have we seen where the plot is, like, hitmen running into other hitmen and, like, yep. getting into hijinks? Like, it happens yep. all the time. Someone else called this, like, you know, a, it's an update of Smoke and Aces with a better cast that, like, doesn't <laughs> suck as bad. And I'm kind like, of, yeah. I kind of agree with that. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen Smoke and Aces since the, the day it came out when I dragged my dad to take me to see it. 
and we both fucking loathed it. But this yeah. does feel like slightly better than that, but kind of on the same level. And we've also seen one location movies that are mm-hmm. aboard a moving mode of transportation, including a train and a plane. So like it's not doing anything original. I can't point to a single thing this movie does that I would say, oh, that's original. And and another thing you said is that it's like the uh, irony of it and like the yeah. I, what, what I would call the tryhardiness of it. It's very... That's a, yeah, that's a good way to describe it because it is trying so hard to hit all these levels. And It's nope. the like... It, that's like the Deadpool problem where it's like it thinks it's really cool. And like yeah. that to me is so off-putting. And I know there's like, you know... This is a movie for like 13-year-olds and they're going to love it. There were two 12-year-olds in front of me with their one of their moms in between them, which just reminded me of my youth forcing my parents to take me to the horribly, horrifically R-rated things. <laughs> and then they asked her afterward. One of them goes, did you like it? And she just goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, that was me. And my dad would have been the person saying no. <laughs> like th- this yeah. movie came out when I was 12 and I would have loved it. Yeah. That 12 year old's probably going to love it. And then like in 10 years, watch it again and be like, yeah, it was okay. (laughs) It has its moments. Like there's a turn where like this movie, just derivative, man, it's trying to be so many things. Like I could clock, I could name 15 movies. It's trying to be, and I'll just name two, but like kill bill crossed with like the big Lebowski at some point. Like it's really trying a bunch of different things. And like the Lebowski thing, I would say is kind of like a late turn, but it's there. And it's just like this movie wants to be like it, it just feels like a, a film bro hodgepodge of like a bunch of things like Tarantino inspired Guy Ritchie inspired like anime inspired or like, you know, Japanese inspired. And I, I would say, yeah, it is all those things. It's definitely yeah. trying to do all those things. Except um, it's not particularly fun, funny. Or, yeah, you know, you it know, being anything. so unwieldy, I guess, is a part of the problem. It's like two hours, 11 minutes or something. Oh, it, yeah, it goes on for a while. I was and you're right. I was like initially I was kind of digging some of it. Like I liked Brad Pitt's character. I kind of was seeing hopefully something coming from having these characters show up and then have their stories told. And maybe it's about more about the stories and not so much about the characters, the legend and all that. Yeah, that's that was just me trying to fill in blanks that were you know left empty it's just yeah it's, there's just nothing in it yeah um <clears throat> if we were rating this movie on a scale of trademarked roger ebert thumbs out of four mm-hmm. out of four i would give this two and a half i'm being that's a pretty generous that's two and a pretty half. generous yeah it's a pretty generous two and a half but i do feel like when i was watching it i wasn't i was never bored i i can't say i was bored i was definitely can I don't know. I almost want to retract that already. I, was I bored? I was maybe a little bored. <laughs> it starts to get like that last half hour. It starts to drag a bit. <laughs> yeah, but again, I just want to point out like Brad Pitt's magnetism and how how far that brings the movie. Like if it if he wasn't the star of this, I would be trashing it. Like he really he really adds a lot of value to me that made me go from like this isn't very good to this isn't very good, but I think it's kind of fun if you're a fan of Brad Pitt and like want to see him, as I said earlier, he's doing a favor for a friend. He's been doing stunts and working or working with David for like since the late nineties, I feel like. And his buddy wanted to make a movie with him and he did it. And I think that's sweet. So I'll take, I'll take that route. (laughs) There you go. You gave it one and a half. I give it one and a half. Yeah. And I also feel that's kind of generous. And that's mostly because I do think the cast is really good at playing these archetypes and kind of doing some 
some funny things with them, but not, you know, not enough to carry an entire movie. Yeah. Well, this little say about anything. I wish we disagreed because this show needs fireworks. We need the Siskel Ebert energy that you're going to get on Tuesday when they discuss Benji the Hunted. Oh, boy. It's like an iconic episode I found out after watching it. Yeah, it is. And I actually watched that movie on Disney Plus. Spoiler alert. It's it's great. I'm on I'm on Team Roger on that one. And we'll get all into that on Tuesday. Um, I don't know if anyone who's watching on YouTube noticed I am in a new room right now. This is another benefit of watching on YouTube. And uh, if you subscribe on Patreon, maybe I'll show you an, another room in the house. You got to every five dollar tier, you unlock a new room of the house <laughs> that I'll do the podcast from. I'm thinking of these things on the fly. Uh, all right, back to the podcast where we talk about movies and I stop throwing jokes at everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about Easter Sunday, a movie that is inexplicably in theaters. And also, I don't know if Mark knows this, and I'm hoping I'm going to blow his mind when I tell him, was spearheaded and brought to life by none other than Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I will. Wait, I will yep. We will get, okay. We're going to get into this right after yeah, the trailer. You need to get into that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into it uh, right after this trailer that I'm vamping for because I don't have it pulled up yet. Here it is, the trailer for Easter Sunday. You could have been a lawyer if you only applied yourself. Cool. Father and son road trip. It's going to be fun. Easter Sunday is like the Filipino Super Bowl. There he is. There's my Welcome home, bro. See you tonight, okay? I just got here. You got to follow your dream and become a beer spokesman. That wasn't my dream. Let's get the party started, baby. And I got to follow mom's dream and become a nurse. Joe? All right. Easter Sunday, the Joe Coy uh, comedian, stand-up comedian. I don't want to say Vanity Project, but I might. I'm going to go ahead and say a Joe Coy Vanity Project has its heart in the right place. Very well-meaning, but boy, is this an unfunny comedy. (laughs) It is not. it, It is hard to recommend. We'll get into that in a second. Pausing to say that this movie was brought to you, brought to life by Steven Spielberg. Uh, This is a quote from Joe Coy at the premiere. Literally, I walked into Amblin and everyone was like, Steven loves you. And I'm like, Steven from accounting? Who are you talking about? There's no way it's Steven Spielberg. So Steven Spielberg had become a big fan of Joe Coy after watching his 2019 Netflix special called Coming In Hot. And he called him in for a meeting at Amblin. And he quickly found out Steven was, in fact, the iconic filmmaker who wanted to know what kind of movie idea I had. And I pitched this one. And from the minute he said, we'll buy it to this day right here, the premiere, he's had his hand in every step of the way. I love you, Steven. Crazy. Crazy. The weirdest (laughs) thing I've heard all day. (laughs) Uh, Again, that also makes me like jibes with what I was saying. Like, it's so well-meaning. Like, Steven Spielberg saw a stand-up comedian he loved with a like a unique perspective and worldview. Uh, he's a Filipino-American comedian. And that's all he talks about in his stand-up, right? So Stephen, uh, the way I am picturing it, is he's like, I'm a, I love this guy. I want to help him out. This guy must have an idea for a movie. So he hears him out. Unfortunately, the idea for a movie was basically, I'm imagining, because this is how it plays out, it feels like a pilot. 
it feels like a sitcom. Mm-hmm. It feels like a TV show. It does not feel like a movie. I think he, this is again, I'm theorizing at this point, but I'm pretty sure Joe Coy dusted off a, you know, a pilot that did, that didn't go or was maybe going to go. I don't know. And turned this into a, a movie because Steven Spielberg asked him, what do you got? It seems like that's the whole impetus for this movie because it's not, there's not much to it. The premise is a guy goes home for Easter Sunday. Like, that's it. It's, again, well-meaning. It's, a, it's about a Filipino-American family uh, coming together for that holiday and all the tensions they have. There's a bunch of weird subplots that don't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll let you talk for a second, but I just came back from this movie like an hour ago, and it was stunning how low rent it is and amateurish to the point of not only does it look feel and sound like tv but like a lot of it feels like they like did one take and just took it and like moved we we, we moved on we got we got the shot it's so haphazardly edited together even it truly looks like it's not finished it, it looks like a student film in one of the first scenes i noticed like an errant stray hair just like on his face in the light and i'm like did they? Did anyone quality check this movie? And the answer, I think, is no. Uh, it did make me want to watch Joe Coy's stand-up. I think he's he does come off... I don't know if you found this. Maybe you found him annoying. I did find him endearing, even if I found his performance to be very bad and everybody else's performance to be very bad. Um, it, it, the movie like, made me go, yeah, I bet this guy has a great stand-up comedy career, and I would maybe enjoy that. But this movie does not have anything for like an outsider who's not a huge fan or who doesn't like care about this world i don't know it it did little for me but it's not just that it isn't funny it's that it's very low rent even though it's directed by one-time feature director jay chan rasikar who you may know from super troopers and i think his biggest movie was probably the dukes of hazard um but he has since been doing a lot of tv and i feel like it shows in this movie. yeah yeah i'll see his name pop up on a couple of you know i feel like comedies a lot of yeah a lot of of sitcoms yeah i feel like for some reason the goldbergs maybe might be a thing like a regular that he does but yeah i mean yeah and i don't know how much of that is just now you make this movie on the cheap and you know get into theaters and yeah you know you're right though joe coy is he's likable here i didn't find him grating i kind of found the character a little annoying because it's the same character every single stand-up comedian making a movie always plays he should have just fucking called it joe coy instead of joe valencia or whatever he made up whatever it is yeah Yeah. because and there's another there's a eugene cordero another comedian is in it and he plays a guy named eugene Eugene. so it's just like it's it's they're not even it's like I don't know if you listen to blank check, but they're talking about all that jazz, the movie. And like when he wrote the script, which was cl- when Bob Fosse wrote that script, that's cl- clearly based on his life. Yeah. When he first wrote it, he just had the names of all the people they were, that they were for real. And then oh, eventually okay. he wrote and them the as character names. In. Yes. <laughs> and like, I feel like that process should have happened here. Like they should have just let it, let it stay yeah. because it's truly that's, it's just, yeah. What if a stand up? had a family like that's the premise of the stand-up movie. yeah what if a stand-up comedian had a, it's and the, the thing is this a spoiler just to say that it ends on you the set of a sitcom no i mean that sure, is about the movie we just yeah. watched i yeah. mean and that's that's basically the movie we just watched is the sitcom version of joe coy's life which gives us no sense of joe coy as a performer as a personality on the stage as a character on screen in any way he's just he's just the stand-up 
a stand-in stand-up comedian who's right on the borderline of being famous. He's famous. The weird thing is he's famous enough for like almost everyone to recognize him from the stupid. Beer that's commercial. the funny thing when you're, that's when that's the like, Hey, is this a vanity project <laughs> where it's like, I, everyone's coming up to him being like, I love you. You rock, man. And then there are people who should know about the beer commercial who don't know about the beer commercial for some reason. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. I really want to see the movie about the stand-up comedian who is famous enough to get a movie made about his life. Because I'm curious, an idea of, we've seen the story of the underdog trying to make it big all the time. What about the really famous comedian going home to his weird family that he's been talking about on stage for decades or however long? And what kind of tension does that create? What does he have to sacrifice? The most interesting subplot here, and it's barely a subplot, is the idea that this television program wants him to put on this, you know, Filipino accent as a cheap joke. There's more potential for conflict in that throwaway gag of what is expected of a Filipino comedian and actor in Hollywood right now than there is in anywhere else. And there is so much conflict here. There's gangsters trying to kill the family. Basically (laughs) there's there's Manny Pacquiao's stolen boxing gloves. Yeah. The, the son gets a romantic subplot. And all of this we're expected to happen. It occurs in what, like a matter of four hours? I know. And, and also, all this stuff happens. Yeah. And like, in addition to all the wacky hijinks, the rest of the quote unquote comedy is so broad. It's like, yeah. all Filipinos be like, <laughs> like, that's, oh, God. that's kind of all it is. And like, I I'm gonna acknowledge straight up this isn't a movie for uh, for you and me and like that's no, okay not, but and that's and fine like, but but J H Ramos Sikar made a, when he was introducing it uh, at that premiere that I, of uh, in the article that I read you know he's like this is a definitely a Filipino a movie about Filipino Americans and like that's a big part of the appeal for us was to make a movie for that subset but you know no matter what in this city you are we're, we we want to see movies about different people and like totally that's, that's what I mean. When I say it's well-meaning and admirable, yeah, like the good intentions, ne- yeah, good intentions don't make for a good movie. That's okay. Oh like, no, they don't. They just every every creed can get a bad movie. That's and that's progress, unfortunately. But it's <laughs> it's true. Um, Jen, uh, I'm trying to find the quote from Jay. You know, there's a lot of movies where Filipinos are the deli guy or the cab driver, and this are the stars of the movie. So instead of one joke, they get 25 jokes. I wanted this movie to be funny, entertaining for everybody, and then I wanted to make the people be filipino american but this is an american movie and i'm proud of it and like i agree it is an american movie but all the things we said are still true about yeah, it it's a generic <laughs> it's, american studio comedy just like everything else so the ones that you're talking about that, don't get me that when sounds, we're talking about train this is what we get now is just sitcom level plots thrown at you and a bunch of actors trying to make the material funny and it's not working that's I mean, what american comedy is today yeah Hearing the Spielberg backstory to it really clicked into place just like how strange it is that this thing exists and how it's just like truly. I mean, Vanity Project is the perfect definition for what it is. Steven Spielberg, uh, I mean, this certainly, right, has to be the worst thing he's ever willed into existence. (laughs) Probably. Like, what is his worst move? What people really don't like 1941. Yeah, but although I, I know it has its defenders. It's fine. I know it's a couple okay. of the defenders. It's yeah, it's not it's not great. It's no Easter um, Sunday. I'll tell you that. He was smart yeah. enough to not have his name anywhere on it. But um he did I mean it the Dreamworks it's a Dreamworks movie. 
It is. You got yeah. it. You got it made. So, Stephen, thank thank you for this. Thank you for Easter Sunday. Uh, next up is a movie from another prolific filmmaker who I generally don't like, but has made what might be his best movie. I'm going to say it right now. I thought this movie was great. Not burying the lead here. Here we go. This is the trailer for Ron Howard's 13 Lives. It takes a certain kind of mindset for the deep cave diving. You have to be a bit nuts. They're very, very dangerous. High water level and the low visibility. Barely shoulder wide. You're pulling against very strong currents. Last seen nine days ago, 12 boys and their coach are trapped in the flooded caves. 13 Lives. I'm going to go ahead and say right away, I should have gone and seen this in a theater this week. It was playing at a theater where I have AMC A-list. I could have seen it for free. Uh, and I just I got a screener sent and I, I caved and I, 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 oh God, I caved. I didn't oh, mean no. to do that. I caved and watched 13 Lives at home. And it was so, I thought it was so great that I was really bummed that I didn't watch it in a theater because I could, it feels like a movie that would really benefit from seeing it in a theater. Mm-hmm. And it also, this blows my mind that it's being like, I'm going to say unceremoniously dumped on Amazon because that's how I see streaming uh, releases for the most part. I know it will get a lot of eyeballs. Probably people will watch it and that's good. And I'm happy about that. But tell me if I'm wrong. You might disagree. This movie, if it were treated more like a prestige release and got given the whole rigmarole marketing theatrical, this is would have been a serious Oscar contender for this year, I think. And I think now that it's just an Amazon thing, it's no one's gonna it's not even gonna be in the conversation at all. Maybe I'm just overhyping a movie I liked, but I do I mean the Academy fucking would love to give Ron Howard an Oscar if they haven't already. Have has they have, have, yeah. Give yeah. it in mind. Yep. Yeah, be- of course. How could I forget? Yeah. He got showered in Oscars for that movie. Yep. I always forget that's him because you know that's a movie I don't like. And like I don't like a lot of the like what you think of when you think of Ron Howard movies. Um I would say they're like what would what would you say is a characteristic of a Ron Howard movie? I would say like overly dramatic. And like this movie I'm trying to say is before I let I, Mark speak is that this yeah. movie is the opposite of what I think of a Ron Howard movie is. It's like restrained and um i found it very moving and it's just like very but back to the ba- like down to the bone of the basics of just like we're going to retell this true life disaster story in the most accurate way possible in the most tense way possible without any fat on it and i thought it, that's what he did and i feel like that's not what i expected from him i would expect like bombast and like a bunch of uh emotional storylines added i don't know it just felt like a new Ron Howard for me. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, and when you say that, define a Ron Howard movie, and I can't because well, that's about a, it. That's not a undefinable. Mind. Yeah, he did Apollo thirteen, which is big spectacle, but also human drama. He did, you know, A Beautiful Mind is all human drama. He did Frost Nixon, which is probably the last really good film i think that he's made that's not i'm in total agreement Oscar nominations i would imagine at least performances yeah this is genuinely i think his best film since frost nixon and i've liked a couple of his things what i think is interesting is recently i don't know if you've seen anything but he's been moving to documentaries 
recently. Oh no, I haven't. But I'm looking he, at his his page, and I'm seeing a lot of. Them. He's done a couple of documentaries. Uh, he did one about the the campfire in California, which is pretty good. Rebuilding Paradise. Yep. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Um, I'm trying to remember the other one. Oh, he did a Pavarotti documentary, which was not good, but I think he, he did also one. did um that Beatles one, the Eight Days a Week. Thing. Yes, I yep, saw he that. He did that on Hulu. Um, I want to say there's one oh. more. <laughs> His IMDb is reminding me that for some reason I saw the dilemma, but I did not see Rush. Oh, okay. And I heard, <laughs> I'd only say that because Rush is like a Harold that I think is one of his better ones, like a really rollicking, exciting action movie. And the dilemma, really weird one-off comedy with Vince Vaughn and Kevin uh, James that yeah. has been lost to time. It has because I forgot about it. <laughs> So you just brought Film, it up. you know what filmed in chicago in the suburbs my i want to oh. say my mom was an extra in that movie there you go <laughs> and you've still forgot about it still forgot about it i bet <laughs> i bet she has too um but I, but I think him working on documentaries really helped with this and i'm also i'm not i'm not suggesting anything but i think that that documentary the rescue that came out last year yes about this cave rescue if he didn't watch it and kind of go a little bit well along that's with what the plot. i mean that's kind of what you want uh i don't know that's kind of what you want a blockbuster filmmaker to do with something like this mm-hmm. i think like that's a that's another thing the people criticize this movie even if they like it they often say this is a good movie but the rescue the documentary that is truly just I feel like they recreated the actual, like the divers recreated scenes in that movie. I haven't seen it actually. So oh, it's really good. Watch yeah, it. That's what I mean. Yeah. So like, I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm so interested, now, especially after this movie. Now here's the thing. I really like the rescue. I think that's a really, really solid piece of filmmaking that does a lot of recreations. And I also think 13 lives is a very, very good film too. I think it's on par with the documentary because it does feel exactly like the story you want told. It's, it is entirely about the human drama, but it's also about the process of diving. It's about the process of figuring out the geography and all of the various obstacles within the cave. It has these moments of suspense that you don't expect because you know exactly how the story is going to come out. But Howard, and I think it's William Nicholson, I think is the screenwriter, the screenwriter of it. They frame these things in such a way that, you know, you watch these divers in the water and it's just quiet except for the bubbles of the scuba gear and metal scraping on rock, which is just terrifying. Just that sound of hearing that metal and knowing these people are in this confined space. And if they get stuck there, they're just stuck for good. Um, there's this really clever way of introducing the problem, the main problem. So the story, obviously, if anybody doesn't know, is 12 kids and their uh, soccer coach get stranded in a cave when it's flooded early from a, a early strike of rain um, from the monsoon season. So they're stranded in there. And the big problem is how do you get the kids out? And the reason that the problem is because they they get this adult worker who's working on some pumps inside the cave. When they try to just get him out, like maybe like 10 meters, maybe or so he panics and almost drowns. And that's, I don't know if that actually happened, but it's a perfect way to dramatize what the central issue is, which is that if an adult man who has some experience and knows what he's getting into, can't handle this. How do you get the kids out? There's so much tension and drama set up in these little subtle ways that it's just, 
it's just really well done. Yeah, I found it remarkable for all those reasons. And especially, as you mentioned, it's all about the human drama and the human... Like, the movie kind of, the message is like, you know, we're all in this together, humanity type thing. Where, like, it's about... it's about the. I mean, it's a true story, and it's truly inspiring. Like, all these different nations and countries came together. People from all sorts of places came together to, to get these kids out. And, like, it's just so mind-blowing to think about for even, like, a second to be like, they were in there for, what, like, two weeks? Yeah, and more like, than two weeks. I think it was 18 days. 18 yeah. days. And they didn't yeah. have food for like the first 10 or 11. Like, mm-hmm. it's just ama- it's amazing that anybody survived, let alone, I think, all of them. And then yeah. the, only, the only people that died were like a rescuer or two rescuers, I think. Um, and so it's just a remarkable true story. But like that human, that human touch of like the way, I mean, again, it, it, this all really happened. So like, it's just on Ron Howard to make it happen and make it compelling in a, in a movie. And he yeah. did, but he also, he made me cry in this movie when he like shows the people, uh, you know, the, the guys, basically the government or whoever it is has to go to the townspeople in the town over and say, Hey farmers, uh, I know you have all these crops here, but like we need to empty this cave of water and the water has to go somewhere. So can we put all this water on your property and therefore ruin your fucking crops for and that destroys their livelihood for probably years who knows decades who knows what the implications of that are and you know the person's only question is is that going to save those boys yeah and like i'm going to get tearing eyed talking about it because it's like it's a true story and like maybe that exact moment wasn't true i know that that scenario oh, no that happened that's true. That, it happened you yeah. see the documentary so like yeah. that shit happened and like um so like I don't know how much of it you want to be like William Nicholson, Ron Howard, great job, but they did. They did a fucking great job with this. But the, the, it's just one of those things where just the true story of this is so compelling that I totally agree with Mark, even though I haven't seen it. You should watch the documentary, and I will watch the documentary. Yeah, definitely but watch the documentary. If you're not documentary minded, or if you like like a good, exciting movie, this movie is so good. Mm-hmm. I loved. I genuinely loved it. It's gonna it's gonna make my end of the year list. Do you agree with me that if it were treated more fairly by the studio like a real movie it would be an oscar play probably i i i hate that it's relegated to streaming it gets a weekend you know i mean i think it was one theater here i don't know how many theaters it was in new york uh it was at the amc lincoln square which was a a surprise which means i could have seen it you know for free and it's also at like one of the art house theaters i'm imagining okay that's probably like and then yeah probably leaving or staying in one of those and then it's like probably two theaters in LA. So in the entire country, this is playing on maybe five, six screens for a week. And this thing, I saw it. I saw it on the big screen. And yeah, this is one of those that you got to see it on a big screen. God really damn for, it! It's so annoying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm as not goddammiting you. I'm goddammiting no, the the, the fact that you. Yeah, I know. But yeah, this thing. I, yeah, and if it if it hadn't been relegated to streaming after a week, probably we'll see how it. You know what what its marketing does later. But yeah, I mean, this is exactly the kind of story that you know the Academy loves to see. And- it is, and it's again, I'm no Ron Howard like fan, and I I'm I'm just like this guy has it in him. I think like he's is this the beginning of a hot streak for uh for old Ron Howard, and by that I mean because the 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 nadir of his career was Hillbilly Elegy at Netflix, right? That has that to be the bad, yeah. that has to be yeah. the worst thing he's ever put his name that on and bad. directed. And I I haven't even seen it, and uh, 
Now we have JD Vance to deal with. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> I think he might have been an issue before the movie, but that's a separate topic. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no. Ron did not birth um, this man. He didn't. Uh, anyway, 13 lives. Uh, I'm giving it... God, I almost want to give it four out of four because it's like... I didn't give it five. I gave it four out of five on Letterboxd, but it's like four, you know, four out of four feels like a a strong statement of it's really good. And I, I do feel that three and a half doesn't feel strong enough to me. I think this is a four star movie. And I think cool. uh, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say the stupidest. Thing. I was like, I think Roger would agree. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck am I thinking? I'm just, he very well might have. He might have, but I, 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 I truly have no bearing on Roger Ebert's thoughts from um, beyond the grave or, or, or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, any final word on 13 lives um, before we move on? Oh, Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell are both Jesus. really. We really haven't good. mentioned. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention the central the thing, performances. Though, <laughs> the movie is so like it, that didn't even occur to us because we're so wrapped with the human element of the story. Yeah, uh, we weren't even thinking about the two like Hollywood stars because they kind of faded yeah. to the background for me. <laughs> they do, yeah. Even though two great performances two terrific performances and like yeah. the fact that they blend into the background of a movie with like that's another thing they are the main characters for sure and like uh protagonists whatever you want to call it but like i would say the ensemble of like everybody who's helping gets equal amount of screen time it's just like the guy who's the governor who was going to retire but is being forced not to retire because he's going to be scapegoated if shit goes wrong yeah he gets a lot of screen time and again it's not like a worse movie and honestly a movie that i would a worse Ron Howard movie would have all those characters talking in English. This movie doesn't. Mm-hmm. Nope. I appreciated that. It just felt like I just didn't know Ron Howard had like a real movie like this in him. I, I really didn't. Maybe I'm, it I'm does, looking... it's reminiscent of Apollo 13 and that it is about like how this it's a real life disaster movie. Another one, it's a real life disaster yeah. movie. And it's a, not as much about how you solve the problem as it is about the people involved in doing the solving. Totally. It's, it's so yeah. it's riveting. And like, yeah. I would say there's even if you haven't if you haven't watched the documentary or read a story, I would say like how they get them out is a shocking twist. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe yeah. that that is how they fucking did it. And I'm not going to spoil it, even though no, it's real life. Spoil it. It's real because life. I, shit, I, I had know. no clue until I saw the documentary what they did. And when they brought that idea up my jaw dropped it sounds just... like it sounds like something the drunk guy in the back of the room would say and they would go no we're not doing that but it was comp- it's, it was the right thing to do it worked it was a genius yeah. idea yeah uh and and that the, that the, that is dramatized in the film very well yeah. Uh, what so i would i i give it three and a half stars i nice. r- really really like it like i said i think it's ron howard's best in like over a decade yeah easily I, you mean um, it's better than um the da vinci code and uh yes. <laughs> that's yes. that is i think that's why i don't like ron howard because i read the da vinci code in 2006 i guess it was before the movie came out like in anticipation of it because i'm like big blockbuster tom hanks this movie this book i've heard about it's going to be great and i read the book and i was you know i was like 16 or whatever i thought it was fine i liked it and then i saw that movie and it might be the first time because I was like, you know, I liked movies so much. It's, it, I think it's the first time I saw a movie in a theater that I did not like. I fully oh, man. could not believe how bad it was. Like, I stunned. And like, it's also 
the first movie that like I didn't see the sequels to. Like even though it was like a big blockbuster, I never saw Angels and Demons, and I think there's a third one that I never saw. There is. There's he did. A, he did them all, didn't he? He did them all too. <laughs> I can. I like Angels and Demons. I would recommend Angels what, and Demons. What makes? I have to ask. What makes yes. Angels and Demons stand out from the trilogy? <laughs> It's got it's got can a you pull very, that from the recesses of your mind. Yes, I can pull that from, from the recesses of my mind. It is a it's a very streamlined race against the clock thriller with a little bit of those, you know, stupid Dan elements Brown in history. Yeah, the clues. stupid Dan yeah. Brownisms. But I think the fact that it feels it has a sense of momentum with racing against the clock to get it that keeps everything in line. I think it's I think it's fine. Inferno's in the same bucket. For, as, Inferno's bad. Yeah. I'm Inferno's sure it is. It's Inferno's this, really bad. I was going to say, it's in the same bucket for me as this other sequel, but I truly already forgot what I was talking about because it's the most, <laughs> it's, it's the most forgettable movie on Earth that I was going to compare it to. So, the dilemma? Maybe no, <laughs> whoa, it was the dilemma. Uh, no, no. We're going to talk about another movie now. It is a documentary that would not have been on my radar if not for Mark, and I'm very thankful that he put it on my radar because I really enjoyed it. I never really had much interest in film production until I went to college. This is Berkeley in the 60s. Things were getting pretty wacky. I was really fascinated by what cameras could do. Whoa, that's pretty cool. And in particular, I was working on a technique of clay animation. There's nothing like it. There's nothing even remotely like it. Play Dream, a documentary about a guy you probably haven't heard of that I'm going to go ahead and say you should have heard of because of his contributions to society that I will try to detail for you here. I don't think you can spoil a documentary. I think it's a very good documentary and you should watch it no matter what. But uh, I'll let Mark talk before I tell all the little fun facts I learned in this movie. But uh, Mark, what did you think of Clay Dream and what what is Clay Dream? What is Clay Dream? Clay Dream is a documentary about <laughs> Will Vinton, who trademarked the term claymation, um, created the California Raisins most famously, and is probably otherwise best known for that really creepy segment of the mysterious stranger from the adventures of Mark Twain that apparently traumatized a bunch of kids. If yeah. I saw that film, I probably was too traumatized to remember yeah, it because the, the Adventures of Mark Twain was like the first ever, and I'm not going to say no, it's not the only. It's the first, first ever, ever claymation feature length movie. Correct. Yep. Yeah. He made it, and it's and deranged it. looking. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that clip went out long, um, went out, went viral online for a while. Just how like this is what we grew up with as kids. This is our children's entertainment was reminiscences about reminiscences about death and the meaninglessness of life from Mark Twain in <laughs> claymation form. But anyway, so Will Vinton <laughs> Yeah, the 80s were the 80s were wild basically. <laughs> yeah. So Will Vinton kind of revolutionized a lot of stuff that we take for granted and don't really see much of anymore except for um Leica and You know what uh, creation of his has has stood the test of time that other What's people that? would everyone would know? Uh the M&Ms <gasps> that's right and that was digital yeah um because i yeah there's a there's a really funny moment in that movie where they're trying the studio that Vinton creates is trying to like claymation is on its way out the door and so they just try to scrap by every single medium they possibly could including early computer animation and they they you know they 
they send out like like we could do your your computer animated candies like oh you we didn't know you had the equipment for that and he's like oh yeah we did and in this interview he goes except we really didn't at the time <laughs> they just bought all this make equipment it and you learned make it. it yeah just so they could make some money and that's the kind of creative that vinton was and the movie goes into very intricate detail about all of the work that he did and the process that he did. And it's also the kind of businessman that he was where he just kind of scraped by. It seems like every quarter because he was not a businessman. He was an ideas guy and he had no clue how to really run a business except kind of by dumb luck. And the fact that he was so talented and he put together this team of really talented people and the documentary shows how the fact that he didn't know much of business bites him in the ass in the end. It's the perfect story of like, you know, how capitalism corrupts and how corporations and the rich will always win out over creatives and artists. It's a great documentary about those things. But it's also, it's just a great documentary for several reasons, uh, including the fact that, of course, all the claymation stuff is such, it's so fun to watch and see. Uh, It's just beautiful looking and he created it. And it's so cool to see firsthand how that stuff was done but of course we haven't even mentioned the structure of the doc which is basically it opens with what would you a, a deposition tape deposition of, yeah 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 it opens with a deposition tape of him and uh phil knight the yep. owner of nike uh multi-billionaire i'm sure uh who's in a lawsuit with will vinton at the t- at the time, you know, to, well, I forget what, uh, what year this was, mid two thousands probably. But probably. so the documentary is framed. It's like, hey, here's Will Vinton. He's this amazing creative guy who invented claymation, and here's what's happening to him now, uh, when things aren't going so hot. And you know, he had to basically, you know, Phil Knight was an investor in the company, and they lost a bunch of money at some point. Then they ran out of money, and then what happens when that happens? <laughs> to a creative like Will Vinton. And I don't think, I think it's a disservice to the movie because I do think it actually does function like a thriller in a way. And, or just, just, an, I just, maybe that's not true. I just think it has a really good shocking twist that I was very surprised by uh, that. I just didn't know. Like you mentioned it earlier, like there's, there's Leica, the, the company we know that makes like the modern Tim Burton-y, but not Tim Burton, like uh, Coraline, and Paranorman, shit like that. Uh, Leica factors in here, of course. And um, maybe, I don't know how much we should get into. It's interesting. I would love to talk about it, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. It's interesting how how things change and also don't change at all and kind of go back around on themselves when somebody with means or at least some connections gets the right connections and gets in the right place yeah. in the world. That's, I will that's do, it. Yeah. No, go ahead. I, what I really like about it is that it feels like a mystery about yeah. the man. And yes. what I really, really like, and it was frustrating at first and frustrating for a while in the film, is that you really don't have a sense of Vinton, Vinton as a person beyond his work. And then you really start to realize, and I think um, the director is Mark Evans, um, and he embraces this idea that, yeah, you're not going to know this guy because he was all about his work. There, there yeah, are surprises there here. Like when you find out he's married and then you find out, oh, he got divorced and he got remarried yeah. because he's interviewed. He's being interviewed like a couple years before he dies. And he's not bringing these things up. He's talking about his biography and he does not bother to mention 
family. He doesn't bother to mention what happened to his first business partner until Evans confronts him about it. That's such a great point there. He is, he is so mysterious and that's, and that's what's fascinating about it is that that's just the man he was. And I think in going through all of those animations, you do get a sense of who he is, but that deposition has that really revealing moment in it where he's kind of asked, like, do you regret what you did with your business? And how do you feel about what happened to you in the business? And he is about to, you can see him. He's about to say something. He's about to open up his soul about how he really feels. And he's just silent. And then, yeah, you know what? That's all I have to say about it. And it's just that silence says everything about the man. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you nailed it. It's really, I found it, you know, it's it's a sad story. It's a moving Mm -hmm. story. It's yeah. All that stuff about him as a, as a man, I, I never even considered um, how the documentary really is. A, you know, it's about a man with a singular drive like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, you could you could extrapolate and be like, you know, it's a cautionary tale about following your dreams and like what that looks like. And like, yeah, you can you can do it, but it's all encompassing and you will get several you will get divorced several times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really great documentary and you will go away thinking like, wow. Will Vinton like impacted culture in a huge way, and look at how thankless this industry can be to people. Yeah. It's it's really great. I don't know where it's playing in New York at the Quad, I believe. Um, it's in California, New York, Ohio, and eventually Oregon. Appropriate okay. enough. All right. Um, yeah, but otherwise, it also has a digital release. Um, oh, great! I will just say yeah. you you if you like Leica, buckle up. You might be you might be upset by some information you learn in this movie. Uh, I found that to be that reveal to be just such a shocking twist. I was like, wow, that is I didn't know that backstory. And it's definitely not touted um, by that company. Uh, and like is actually having an exhibit at the Museum of the Moving Image uh, next month. I got a press release for it right after watching this movie. Ooh, and I was like, it's timing. Ooh. I want to like reply to them and be like, actually, you should have Will Vinton's name in this email. <laughs> uh, but I didn't say anything. Anyway, let's move on to the next movie, which on my list I have as Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Someone is doing this. They're trying to kill us off one by one. That would be so obvious if I were the killer. I turn off my clothes in the window for the neighbor. Where are you? Go. How long have you known her? What are you talking about? Jordan, what are you doing? I'm staying safe. Really? Because it looks like you're grabbing a meat cleaver to go look for my boyfriend. He's watching your girl. Yes, that was New York City's Pete Davidson in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies from A24. I like this movie a little more than you. But I still have reservations. Um, I will let you start. What is this movie, and what did you think of it? What is this movie? Is it is sort of a old-fashioned murder mystery, but set now and in a very well. I mean, I was going to say in a wealthy person's mansion, but that's a background yeah. for a lot of sounds like a murder mystery. Yeah. It's like you Knives know, and that's, out. Yeah, I'm going to say everyone that inspired that one. (laughs) 
I kind of appreciated the the groundwork of all like the old school Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot murder mystery things where you have like this isolated mansion and you have a hurricane to further how isolated all these characters are. And the main difference is that all these characters are, you know, modern day young adults just out of college ish who are obsessed with um, social media and their phones and they get together because the hurricane's approaching and they're going to waste away the time. Um, there's a, some interpersonal drama that is kind of important just to set up the fact that everybody's a suspect and everybody suspects, suspects everybody else. And then they play a game of, I don't know if this is an actual game where somebody is a murderer and in their wandering around the dark and tapping each other to kill each other. It's kind of like among us, but we played know. this at camp and it was called, um, I think it was just called murderer. I mean, that's more yeah. to the point, but yeah. it doesn't sound as cool as bodies, bodies, bodies. Yeah. Better title than murderer. I, I do agree. That's what we end up getting is but bodies, it's a little bodies, misleading. bodies. It's a little misleading. There aren't enough bodies for the title is what I'm going to say, but go ahead. One, two. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so somebody ends up dead and it looks like they were murdered. And so they have to figure out who the murderer is. And that's it. That's, that's the basics of the story. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it starts promising. I like the little touches, like I said, of you know, this feels like you know something that Agatha Christie, if she were still around, would be writing right now just to update it. And then it just starts to feel like there aren't really characters. They're just broad stereotypes and yes, archetypes of yes. what somebody thinks kids well, are that's, like these days. <laughs> that's when like okay, what you're talking about, like the whodunit elements crash with the elements where like oh, not only is this a whodunit like set in the modern times, it's also a social satire. Yeah. And, like, and it really leans into that. But yeah. it's, like, it's also, but also, it's a horror movie. Like, it, it has a few modes that it's trying to operate in. And I, it doesn't, it kind of has sections and segments, does it not? Like, it's not it really, it's not really, like, I, like, saying it like that, like, before I said it was segmented, it sounds like, oh, it's got a lot of, you know, different elements, and, like, it's probably using them well and intermingling them but it's like really not it's like it's presenting this way for a while and then it's presenting this way for a while and then it's presenting this way for a while yeah starts Um, off like interpersonal drama turns into murder mystery turns into horror movie turns into social satire flat out by the end yes and that's the thing is i genuinely love the punchline of this movie is what I will call it. Like there's a reveal that acts as like the big social satire, haha moment. Mm-hmm. And it really made me laugh, even though it wasn't, it wasn't like the, it wasn't super hard to see coming even, but like, it's just like the implication of it and what it means once, you know, these characters are all vapid and like this movie is definitely, definitely feels like someone gently ribbing i don't want to say completely roasting gen z it's not even that mean or incisive but it's definitely trying to say like something about you know these types of i love i love the idea of how these types of party games being like a you know a thinly veiled way of like talking shit about your friends (laughs) and like how it seems like all these people fucking hate each other right like that's another Mm -hmm. element that's great is like yeah, Gen Z, they all just hang out and stare at their phones and like, yes, they're friends, but they all have these really 
tough to define relationships. Like we find out one of them's like hate listening to the other one's podcast. <laughs> um, and like the movie just at some point becomes like them flatly saying um, social justice Twitter speak out loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just becomes them being like, you're a psychopath. And then don't call her a psychopath. That's, that's, that's so ableist. <laughs> that's so ableist. And like, I'm an ally. I get it. Like, and it's funny because I think Rachel Sennett is terrific. And I think she's very mm-hmm. funny and she sells all the lines because she's a terrific actress and a comedian. Mm-hmm. But it really hits a wall, this movie, where it's just like, okay, yeah, that's all it's doing. It's just riffing on these characters. It's riffing on these archetypes. And it's putting them in this pressure cooker situation. But it definitely leaves you underwhelmed still. I don't know why. Like, because I, I do, as I said, I love the punchline, but why is it so, why does it leave me so wanting? Is it because, like, part, a lot of actors don't get a lot to do? Like, Maria Bakalova, who's like, you know, coming off an Oscar nomination from Borat 2, who you think would get to do something comedic or interesting here, gets to do nothing. I think um, Amanda Sten, uh, Stenberg is really good in the couple of things I've seen her in. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, she feels underutilized too, even though she's she's like co lead with uh, Bakalava, but you know, yeah. just yeah, just doesn't quite know to do with its characters because the characters are all in service of just running around in the dark and having all these issues with each other, and that's the definition of the characters. And then obviously being obsessed with social social media and their phones and all that, and that's it. And I, after the punchline happened, I was wondering. If it would have somehow, and I don't know how somebody would have done this, and I'm not saying somebody should have done this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I did wonder how would it play out if you knew that punchline from the start? If you knew the gag from the beginning, and then it plays off of that somehow. And I wonder if it would have been one funnier. You know what? I think think it might have been. Because those last few minutes are... I would say more like lacerating, right? Than like the rest of it. Like I would say it's like it really like it's kind of like a twisting the knife moment, right? Where it mm-hmm. just like makes you feel like the theme of what they're saying in the movie. Because so it I'm, feels yeah, it's it's because it just feels so it starts to feel contrived. Like they're trying to put it's not just who suspects who, but it's also about playing with our expectations and our suspicions of who it could be. And but if you know where it's gonna end up does that change the tone? Does that change the meaning? Does that change how you write those characters? Because you're no longer writing those characters around the idea of a mystery. They are involved in a mystery, but they are their own people now. I don't know if that might have been, a, it would definitely been a different approach. I don't know if it would have been necessarily better, but I, I, I was wondering it the whole time because you're right. The punchline is really good, but it is. You know, it, it's, and, that, and that's why, and that's the thing. Like, it left. You know, it's a punchline, so it's like the end, and it, yeah. it made me leave thinking the movie's better than it is, even though yeah, and I, I can and think about it now in hindsight and go, yeah, it's not great. But when I left, I was like, yeah, that was good. That was funny. That's that was like, it, it, it's a really strong joke. But again, it it's kind of like, is it a is is it a one joke movie? Then is like that. You, know, you can kind of <laughs> say, I mean, in a way, yeah, say, yeah. You can kind of say, yeah, it's all just leading up to that, and it's a very good joke, but it's not not a one joke thing um it's you know satirical murder mystery about how gen z is a bunch of virtue signaling people who don't really care about each other 
it's definitely like coming for the throats of Gen Z uh, yeah. in a way. But again, it's not. I just wish it went harder. I guess I don't know. I don't know what exactly doesn't work about it to me. I think it's just the hodgepodge of all the different ideas, and then how it just kind of devolves into people yelling at each other and getting literally shot with a gun. Like yeah. it's just like that's not compelling to me. I maybe it's just living in modern times, but like I don't want to see a gun used in a horror movie. Like I guess Scream did it in a, in a good way and iconically, but it's like hard to pull off. And I didn't need it. I don't know. It's fine. I guess, it, you know what, that's a weird criticism because it's just true of life that there's just guns lying around everywhere. So they yeah. would factor well, they make Well, they make a joke about, that's a joke in the movie too, is like, oh, yeah. oh no, no, he doesn't have a gun because, you know, he's kind of sketchy, but his politics scan at least. And then there turns out right. there is a gun in the house. And yeah, of you know, course, whatever point that's trying to make. I yeah, don't know. It's, it's just, just... It's a movie about how we're all full of shit, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's a movie about how you and your friends are full of shit. And even if you're in a group chat with them, if you don't text enough in the group chat, you're ostracized even. Yeah. It's it's so like I appreciate a movie that's like saying something about the youths today. Um, I just don't know if it said all that much, you know? I yeah. guess that's the point. That's the issue. Yeah, it it's just, just feels like these kids these kids these days and so Yeah, get off my lawn. Phones. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Fun fact that I didn't realize till after seeing it. I'm not sure if you read the like New Yorker phenomenon short story called Cat Person a few years ago from 2018. It's like a millennial romance story that went super viral. It was the most read short fiction on their website in New Yorker history. The woman who wrote that this was the spec script she sold right after that hit it big. Oh, okay. And that kind of makes uh, made me go, oh, okay. So it really is like, I, like if you read Cat Person, it kind of tracks with like what her themes of her writing are. And I think it's, I don't, I do kind of like it, but it it is. I wish the whole thing were as good as that punchline. I guess is what I will say. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good punchline. <laughs> it's a good punchline. Yeah. I agree. All right, we got a we got a couple more super indies that I don't know where they're playing, but I think they're varying degrees of worth watching. Uh, here is Ali and Ava. You into music? Yeah, I like country music, me. Oh, that's it then. I'll pull up, shall I? Well, I must like something else. I like folk. Folk, folk, you know, it's getting worse. Yes. How do you know Sophia's family? They're my tenants, but we've got mates. Kids here, around. Yeah, four. Four? Bloody hell. Who's that? He's a friend. A fella. Three, two, one, go. I let it play for a little longer than I wanted to because that song is great. I love yeah. that song, and it, it's used in the movie very well. And music is generally used in this movie very well. But this movie left me wanting a little bit too. It it felt like one of those movies that debuts at a festival and kind of goes away because it didn't get universal praise. Um, it's definitely like a British, you know, in the grand tradition of British social realism, kitchen sink drama, right? About yeah. If you don't know what social realist movies are, what, like what was that? The, the the British New Wave in the '60s when movies started being about true to life people in real places, like naturalistic movies that were representative of political and social issues of the time. Yeah, this, yeah, this you're talking extreme, like Ken Loach and yeah, like um, Ken Loach and yeah. Mike Lee. Yeah, uh, this movie's definitely, I would say, of that ilk. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah, except I think it is. 
it wishes it were simpler. of that caliber yeah it wishes it were yeah it does wish it were of that calendar a caliber and it's 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 also far the story is far simpler and i really appreciated the fact that it is just like this sweet little romance between two you know middle-aged people who are you know just kind of by chance find each other because um adil akhtar plays ali his a f- daughter of a friend goes to a school where Claire Rushbrook's Ava is a teaching assistant. They kind of meet. He drives her home in rainstorm one day and they start talking about music and all this other stuff. And then they just start hanging out a lot and, you know, things happen and it's short and sweet. They're both very kind and gentle and empathetic and thoughtful people. And it's just nice and simple. And I appreciated it. And the two of them are really good in it. And then it does try to bring in the issues that, you know, you kind of are thinking are there, even though everything feels a little rose tinted in this neighborhood where everybody gets along, regardless of oh, class yeah. or ethnicity. Racial tension building, mostly because of her son. And like, yeah, you can tell that her ex-husband was racist <laughs> yeah her her ex-husband was in a i believe the political movement is outlawed in the uk now but he was part of them um and yeah <laughs> i mean again we're talking about it as we talk about it i'm like thinking about it and i'm just like this is a pretty dense movie and also mm-hmm. those are things that like you and i got from watching it it's not like the movie even gives you that it's kind of well i mean it does but it's like you have to it's not like a hand-holdy movie for the audience mm-hmm. It's definitely like you have to, you know, really watch, really watch it and pay attention to it. And the movie's not going to explain to you like you even just you explaining how they met and who they are to each other. I found it kind of like, oh, this movie. I I just found it a little. It kept me at a distance is what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay, All right. Gotcha. So I but I was I mean, I kind of in the opposite reaction. I was involved with it when it was just about the two of them and just kind of chatting up and just getting to know each other. And then it lost me around the time when the sun storms into the living room with a sword. Um, Cause then it just like, yeah, bring up ideas of lingering racial tension based on class issues and socioeconomic issues and just familial history. Sure. Go ahead and actually address that. But this movie doesn't, feel as if it really wants to address it it just brings it up as a conflict for this romance and then it kind of just it's just there for a bit hanging heavily over the movie and it doesn't feel like it really resolves itself it just no it doesn't like there's a key scene in this movie that happens off screen oh yeah yeah you're right like like there's a key conversation in this movie that needs to happen between two characters and it never happens. It, we don't ever see it, at least. And it's, yeah. it, that's a conversation. If you want to address these issues of racism lingering in this culture, in this society, and all of these different things, the weirdest thing is I, the the daughter from a different husband her is is also a bit racist against him, and she is, uh, and he's he's of Pakistani origin. I believe her father is of Indian origin, and so there's that there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's tension there long going on, but it does it just brings it up again. Just like, OK, so this is also a thing that's happening, but it doesn't it's not the kind of movie to address those things. And I don't think it does 
and it just feels yeah it's more like it's more like about just the vibes and like playing music and having nice little scenes of these two an unexpected pairing uh of this odd couple yeah it it was okay it also was like bold move to make the protagonist of your movie a landlord (laughs) (laughs) and want the audience to like buy into like liking him but they did a good job i did like him because Uh, he stops he almost stops being a landlord after the first five minutes or so (laughs) that's yeah i think that might be why (laughs) because yeah i mean this this movie just makes me like it's fine but it just makes me want to go yeah go watch a ken loach movie or go watch a a real british social realism movie that like define the genre you know you don't need to watch this like kind of uneven and like not super interesting visually or narratively it's just it's like just kind of unremarkable i i don't know what to say about it other than yeah. it's it's something's something's off little genericness maybe i i don't know what it is i i did enjoy the use of the music i yeah. really thought it was strong but that's kind of the only element that was like keeping me interested and in, uh throughout not yeah. a great sign. There's a really cool sequence of cross cutting between that song from the that we played from the yeah. trailer and then like a country song. To, so she's Slick. listening to the country song, he's listening to that one, and they cross cut between the two of them listening and also dancing and reacting to their own music, and it all kind of gels together somehow. That's really that's a really good moment. Yeah, a movie full of nice moments. Yeah, uh, full of nice moments leading up to trying to do something more than it's really equipped to do. Well, there you have it. That was Allie and Ava. And we've got one more, the surprise we forgot about. And I don't know why I forgot about it, because I did enjoy it. Here is I Love My Dad, the trailer. Anyone else have anything they want to say? Franklin? I uh, took some steps in setting healthy boundaries and locked my dad online. He's never really been there for me when I needed him, and I'm done with that. Did you delete your profile? It's kind of the main way I was uh, staying in touch with you. My ex blocked me one time, and I just started a different page under a different name. I'll check it all the time. She never even knew. (laughs) I just started a different page under a different name. I met someone online. She's like smart, funny. And you've like talked to her on the phone and stuff? Obviously. <laughs> I've heard of my octopus teacher, but my catfish dad? <laughs> Thank you for enduring me. Um, I love my dad. Low-key indie comedy that is going to be very divisive, I think, because its premise is very either you're going to be with it or you're against it. And it I mean it is compelling. It is a true story apparently. Uh, what is this movie about, Mark? Um, so James Morosini, who wrote and directed it, also plays a young man named Franklin who has just left a mental health facility after a suicide attempt. Um, and he, like we heard from the clip, he's cut his father, played by Patton Oswalt, out of his life by blocking him on social media. He blocks his cell phone number on his cell phone, and Oswalt's Chuck can't take it. And so he comes up with this ridiculous plan to create a false identity as a beautiful young woman who happens to be a waitress at a restaurant that he goes to. And he just creates this alternate personality, befriends his son online as this young woman. 
and they start up a friendship that the son clearly wants to be a little bit more. And in order to keep in touch with his son, Chuck has to go along a bit with the intentions of his horny, romantically hopeful son. It's it's really weird. It's really weird, and it shouldn't work at all, mm-hmm. right? It shouldn't it work, should at work at all. It, it, it should there, not. There's a scene where Pat Oswald, the dad, is um, sexting his son <laughs> God. while he's, you know, sexting and masturbating, and there, he's like a room over from him. And it's like, why am I watching this movie? Why is... What is happening? I can't believe my life has come to this. But this movie is really sweet, ultimately. And <laughs> and I will say it really sticks to landing in a way where that like last shot and like what it, you know, it's a movie about a, a, a father and son reconnecting in a very uh, bizarre way, in a very unconventional way. And it's such a thoroughly modern story. And I totally buy that it happened. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It couldn't be made up. One of those things. Yeah, and yeah, um, it's just like a story about how modern people, how we communicate, how we live our lives today, and how we communicate online, and how you know that is they use that stuff to tell a story about a father reconnecting or a son deciding to reconnect with his father. That you know they have obviously some trouble and baggage. His father's actually that's probably the most complex part of this movie that people will probably be turned off by. But again, I think it's true to the true to life apparently is that Pat Oswald is not a very like redeemable character, right? Like he, nope. not only does he do the catfishing stuff, which is inherently gross and wrong and fucked up before that. And the reason he cut off contact, he's a con man, essentially. Yeah. He's a yeah. con man. And so like a, a son reconnecting with his con man, maybe isn't the sweet heartfelt story. Some people want to see, but if you're on the level of the movie, which I definitely was, I thought it was funny. And like that moment with, that I described, I think I was probably laughing. It was so bizarre to see. Um, it reminded me of Bobcat Goldthwaite's World's Greatest Dad. And that that's the only other comedy that had a premise almost as fucked up as this one or even more, actually. It's just like, you know, full on cringy. That movie's about a dad faking his son's suicide note and then like becoming like he becomes like famous for it kind of dear evan hansen kind of stole it it's weird <laughs> yeah it's, yeah that's a weird connection but it's yeah a weird thing <laughs> anyway this reminded me of that in that i, I really like that one i think world's greatest dad is great it's probably the last really good robin williams performance it's uh 2014 maybe or something i don't remember when it came out it might be earlier than that huh yeah you might be I, right maybe I need to, yeah i'll have to look that up no later. idea but this movie is similar in that it's a super dark indie comedy that is ultimately sweet and nice and good. And I I thought it was... I didn't expect to come away liking it. I really thought I was going to dislike it from the setup and what the movie was about and Patton being the character he was. But, man, it works, right? It won me over. And it was, like, uncomfortable in a fun way. I thought it was good. Maybe just because, you know... I feel like we all can relate to not talking to your parents enough and uh, stuff like that. So I, I thought it was good. I liked it. I find it interesting that you found it sweet and funny. Uh, the sweet. sweet well, the is sweet the, is, is the, big... the operative. I guess I say that because that last shot is all I'm saying. Like that. Oh, got me. oh boy. I don't know if that, I don't, 
that last shot feels a little it, it could be i guess interpreted as sweet but i also saw it just as kind uh, of spoil, spoiler tag here because i need to talk this out with mark okay what okay. do you what so the last shot of the movie you're talking i'm talking about like him you know in the window in the window yeah yes in the window yes you could interpret that I think there is. It's like I think there, there is he's un- ready to talk again. A, he's ready correct. to reconnect. There's that underlying thing, but there's also the way that he goes about doing it and the circumstances that he puts him in because there is a, <laughs> there's an assumption that Pat Oswalt's character has at that ending moment of what his life is going to be like mm-hmm. based on information that he has received. Oh, right. When he ends up at that place yeah all of those expectations everything completely out the window and now he is stuck Mm. and okay you could say that the sun yes looking down is like yes i'm ready to potentially connect with you but also this is what i'm going to put you through in order to do that I don't know if it's, and also I don't know. I mean, I liked it. I'm just, I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm that's just, interesting. And I, I think it's what I think is interesting about it. And maybe the reason why it, it came across as a little sweet to you is that Morrissey in theory, his character is the, the victim and the protagonist here, but instead of turning, making the movie about himself or his, you know, alter ego in the movie, he makes it about the villain yeah, and tries to empathize with a man who is a pathological liar and a yeah. con man and an absentee father and all of this list of yeah. everything that's terrible I about get, him. This movie got panned out of Sunday or South by, and I get it. I understand that reaction. Yeah, I get it too because he is he is not a good character, but the fact that the film tries to find a a good part of him, even to the point where you are. By the end, by the end, I wasn't sure if he's being sincere about his motivation for trying to reconnect with his son, or if that is just the game he likes playing of lying and conning and doing that stuff. And he and the fact that so he's it was doing like it, a means to an end for him. It exactly. Yeah. And I don't. But I. But I'm not saying that that's a negative. I like that the film embraces the the puzzle of this guy, and yeah. whether or not he is legitimately sincere or if he is just irredeemable and i think you can come away with it either way and it doesn't matter because the joke is the important part the joke that running joke of just how the absurdity uncomfortable this becomes and it becomes so uncomfortable (laughs) yeah it sure does you know we talk about you know talk about bodies 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 is a really good punchline this has a really good setup and finds really clever ways to expand it and make it even more uncomfortable and cringy as it goes which you don't think is going to be possible but it does yeah i guess i would imagine other people i didn't find this i did i didn't care about this too much but like i think i would imagine a criticism people lob at it also is that like you know the way that like the catfish manifests as the girl and like, as like this fantasy version of a, of the woman. And like, it feels a little thorny or manip. It doesn't, it feel, something about that oh, felt a little yes. off. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. There is definitely. And that's the other thing is the fact that he chooses a woman and to do that makes it really like it, that is calculated. You don't just, if you're going to, you could, he could easily have just picked some dude 
Like, oh hey, yeah, I the fact that, that it's a like... specific woman in a diner, yeah, that he knows. Because it's like I like I saw yeah. that you like because he plays the son plays video games online and he figures that out eventually. Dude, and that's that is that such a true to life detail to me too. That like a that's something that is such like a well meaning but such a fucked up thing for a dad to do. But it totally tracks as something that a fucked up dad would do to me. That there would be like, oh, I need to hook up my son with you because you have similar interests. And in my mind this is a, a natural idea and makes yeah. sense and isn't super uncomfortable and wrong. And people can't do that in society. And in, ter- and in terms of just the character being that way, I, uh, what I, what I like about it is they do this. Yeah. Uh, Morsini does this really cool thing is that there are lots of text heavy conversations in this movie and he just gets rid of the text and just has characters talking to each other directly as if they were doing it, which means that you don't have to worry about the gimmick of how are you going to show all this text on screen? And in terms of the character, yeah, she is this like idealized version of what this lonely guy would do. But I think um, it's Claudia Saluski plays. Yeah. It's woman. handled well in that she's in the vision. Really good here. Yeah. In the vision. She's like the dream version of her, of that yeah. woman. And then like at the diner, she's like the real, you know, this is, her as a waitress yeah. like this is what and she actually looks like versus like the i don't even imagine i don't even remember what she was like wearing but i'm imagining every time it's a flashback like she's like in a dress and sultry and like yeah yeah but she's really good at just kind of like winking at like yeah i know that this is you know what this dude really wants out of me but it's not really <laughs> right possible yeah. because it's not a real thing she's she's good at conveying that i think right so, on uh this anyway. is a Three out of four for me. Me too. Three out of four. I don't think we did it for some other movies. Uh, yeah, I don't think we did. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, Allie no. and Ava is a two and a halfer. Correct. Me too. Okay. Um, bodies, bodies, bodies. A two and a halfer also. Uh, two for me. Okay. Clay Dream. I'll uh, go ahead three? and give that three. And, oh, three? Okay. Um, I'll go three and a half. Just cool. to give people you know go to the nudge and i think we covered everything else 13 I lives so. four for me three and uh, a half for me there we go and uh easter sunday is a one from you and a one from me yeah <laughs> and bullet train is a two and a half for me and one and a half for me there you go we ran it down we did it all we did it in about 90 minutes uh not <laughs> not too bad not too bad not too bad all right thanks for joining me mark um I'm sure you'll be back if you are willing at some point. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, next week is a weird list of movies. I think it's something called Fall, which is about like being stuck on a on a on a point, <laughs> uh, a high up in the in the sky. Uh, and what else? Mac and Rita, a movie I had never heard of, but it's directed by Katie Asselton from The League, and it stars Diane Keaton and Taylor Page from Zola. Yep. Uh, and Emily uh, the Criminal. Saw that at Sundance. That comes uh, out next week. It's good. Uh, and Summering. Skipped it at Sundance. Heard it's terrible. But I love James Ponsel. I really do. I really liked... Um, what did he do? The Spectacular Now. Spectacular I really liked. Now. Yeah. And I liked the end of the tour. But nobody yes. likes The Circle. <laughs> I forgot he did that. Oh, yeah. That one, too. He did. What was his first one? Smashed? Was yes, that was it. Yeah. With uh, drunk Elizabeth... Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah good movie he's good i like i like him yeah. but i've heard summer rings rough but uh those are the four movies out next week i will certainly be back um 
I don't want to make anybody commit to anything here. So uh, we'll, you, you'll see Mark Dusick will return. We'll leave it like that. Like the like James Bond style. Uh, yes. Anything to plug good. besides uh, um, Mark reviews, movies.com Mark reviews, movies.com all re- reviews. We movies we talked about plus the streaming ones, pray they slash them. Um, there's probably something else I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I have a Patreon it's patreon slash mark dusik d-u-j-s-i-k and i forgot last week i'm also on letterboxd if you want to see all the movies that i'm watching as i watch them and all those reviews pop up as they pop up along with all that i'm on there too great follow i'm on letterboxd too but don't find me don't follow me i don't want it i don't want the pressure it's my personal diary I'm just kidding. You should follow me on there. I, I need it. I crave it's fun. it. I enjoy, I enjoy your little, your little oh, thank jokey you. capsules. They're fun. Thank you. That's what it's for. You got to be pithy on there. Um, all right. That's uh, Roger and me for Thursday. Or God, I already got the date wrong. Friday, August 5th. Uh, tip your concession staff or whatever I say at the end of this episode. All right. Bye.